I'm John Chilson, and you're listening to Built Blocks, the podcast about cities, architecture, buildings, the built environment, and everything in between. You've heard of agriculture, or urban ag, or growing food in the cities. And then there's architecture. And then there's agritecture. I mean, agritecture is kind of just what it sounds like. It's agriculture and architecture combined. It's a term that I coined about uh, five and a half years ago when I started the blog, agritecture.com. And it's really about bringing architectural thinking into the urban agriculture movement. That's Henry Gordon Smith. He launched agritecture.com a few years back as a blog to help promote the fact that, yes, you can grow food in the cities and look cool doing it. The blog then turned into something even bigger, much bigger. The blog is kind of also a bit futuristic. Uh, when I first started it, it was really about presenting you know, utopian visions of, of future cities, things that really inspired me, uh, very dramatic uh, vertical farms and, you know, you know, unique projects that are really going to be unusual. And, and like I said, a bit utopian. Uh, as it evolved, I, I saw that there was a real need to present real business and real news about what's happening in urban agriculture. And so that's what the blog is about. It's presenting a vision of the future that's very uh, utopian and then also juxtaposing that with real business, real news so that you, the viewer, can feel inspired to both push the boundaries, but also that you can actually achieve this, that it's not something impossible. So how do architects get into the action? If you're an architect, how do you infuse urban ag into your building's design? So architects are really talented at, at considering what makes a city beautiful, what makes a city productive. Uh, they use really interesting materials and they know how to sell their ideas. I think in a lot of scenarios, uh, urban agriculture projects struggle with that. And they don't quite know how to integrate into cities in a way that is beautiful and purposeful. And so agritecture is about that vision. It's about what can we learn from architects that can benefit agriculture and vice versa. The technology behind growing food in dense cities falls on hydroponics and not soil. Championed and used by decades by cannabis growers, many cities are turning to the technology to grow food in places where growing food was unheard of just a few years ago. One of the things that really inspired me to do this was that I was kind of just discovering hydroponic agriculture. Uh, so that's, that's uh, you know, cultivating plants using water as the main driver as opposed to soil. And what that does is it removes the soil. And soil can be messy. Soil can be heavy. Uh, and, you know, alternatively, recirculating hydroponic systems can actually be quite flexible. And so now you can integrate agriculture into basements and facades and rooftops in a way that you couldn't before. And that's a big part of what drove this uh, this inspiration, I realized that this kind of emerging or re-emerging uh, use of hydroponics in urban agriculture had the opportunity to merge with architecture in a way that, that soil-based agriculture couldn't before. Architects and builders and their buildings are driven by design, but they're also driven by code. Henry explains how those amazing renderings you always see of vertical farms on skyscrapers might someday actually get built, but there are challenges. Architects define our cities, they define our lives in a way that, that, that is actually quite critical. Um, but they actually don't have the technical know-how around agriculture to help them actually, let's say, get to the touchdown, right? So you see a lot of architects that design vertical farms or hydroponic greenhouses into their concepts. But then when you go to the actual project, it ends up being like a container garden, right? And you're like, well, what happened? Right. And they said, and, and there's an interesting interview out there with James, Mine, um, James Bieber, rather, um, who's, who's the architect of the U.S. pavilion at the expo in Milan that happened. And, and food was a big theme there. And, and he put a vertical farm on the facade. And I asked him, I said, why did you choose that technology? And he said, well, that was the only 
the, the only brand of vertical farm that, that had enough data for me to kind of confidently move forward with it. And so that's what's difficult is that this industry is just emerging. And so like you can't get a lot of accurate data as an architect. You can't get a lot of accurate data of, okay, if I put this into my facade, how much water is it going to take? How much energy is it going to take? How much, uh, you know, how slowly is the water going to move through it? How much is it going to weigh? You know, that information isn't as easily available as, say, a green wall or solar panels or uh, some of the other, you know, even water, rainwater collection with those elements. Um, but they're not making decisions and risks with vertical farming because they don't have enough of the, the assets um, that they need to act. So, you know, that's that's part of the problem. And that's one way we're one thing we're trying to solve by kind of getting some of the information out there, hoping some architects will take it on. But to be frank, that wasn't enough. And so we had to actually launch some workshops to really bring growers and architects together, get them talking to each other. There are workshops where you learn new things, and then there are workshops where you're assigned a real-world task to come up with real solutions. Agritecture's workshops are intense, and they bring in many different industries under one roof to learn how to integrate growing food into buildings. I love solving problems, and this was one problem that I've obviously identified is that architects aren't empowered enough to, to, to really design feasible vertical farming operations into their projects. So what I, thought, what I said was, how can we get architects and growers talking to each other? And I thought, well, a workshop would be great, right? Because growers don't think three-dimensionally enough um, often. Uh, they're, they're very, you know, they're just, they just don't think the same way that architects do. And, 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 and architects also, you know, need, could learn from, from growers. So I said, how can I get these two groups in the same room? And then I said, well, maybe that's not the right question. Maybe the question is, what is the dream team to design a vertical farm? And so I expanded that beyond those two professions to include sustainability managers, really, to ask those tougher questions on the sustainability impact of these projects. Uh, we also thought engineers would need to be part of this discussion. And then we thought, well, how about business people? Or we call them entrepreneurs and then marketing professionals. And then we kind of thought, well, let's just throw in some students in there at, to support the teams. And so the concept developed that we would recruit you know, these six different professions and then match them with three students as well. And we basically get applications for the workshop and then we match teams based on what we think is going to work. And then they go head to head. They have this competition. So the way the workshops work is you arrive, uh, you meet your team that you've never met before. Uh, you get to know each other, break the ice a little bit. And then we kind of bombard you with useful information, uh, yields, energy, case studies, uh, you know, best practices, all of that in the first day. And then the second day you have basically in your typical architecture design charrette, a lot of freedom to work as a team to develop your pitch deck and your concept. And then they pitch it to a public audience at the end. And, and then there's a prize. You win a, you know, a, a double-sized post on agritecture and usually like a small prize, some, some local beer or um, a coffee mug or something like that. Um, and, and you know, I'm really proud of the workshops because it's been a team effort uh, between a lot of people that care about the subject. And we're, we're doing our, our eighth workshop coming up in L.A., March 31st and April 1st. From these workshops, attendees go back to their own cities and then hopefully get the ball rolling. Yeah, I think originally the goal was to get these two groups sharing knowledge, and that was an, a big enough win, uh, win for me. But what we did notice is that people were setting up businesses. So there's at least five groups from the, the workshops that have started spin-off businesses, either farms or have decided to collaborate on some food-related project. And that that's really fantastic. You know, I think a secondary success is just that they are still talking to each other. They're communicating, they're sharing ideas. A lot of, a lot of the, the younger professionals in the, in the workshops have, have joined companies um, that are already working in the space uh, or have started pursuing some kind of degree 
relating to something that might you know help them be a professional in in the in the emerging industry. Uh, I think we want to take it a step further. So what we're going to do in the next coming months um, is actually turn all of the participants of the workshops into a digital community. Uh, very simple, you know, probably like a Facebook group, something like that. But letting people kind of represent their professions and and collaborate with people who have been through the same experience they have, albeit in a different city. And so I think that's one way we're going to kind of scale this up a little bit and, and its impact. Uh, but otherwise, we're still just going to keep trudging, uh, trudging along and, and doing workshops. As I said, we've got L.A. coming up and then we've got Baltimore will probably be the next one. No discussion about urban ag would be complete without talking about adaptive reuse. Is turning old, unloved former factories into places to grow food a reality? I think that's the dream, right? Is like, how can we take these spaces, especially, you know, looking at the East Coast where I'm located, how can we take these spaces where there were these thriving industries before they're producing, you know, meaningful work, blue collar jobs? Uh, how can we get something back and, and, and also produce something that, that is such a great benefit as, as food? Um, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. I think um, a, lot of, a lot of these spaces are, are, are good, but, but you have to do a lot of retrofitting um, and you really need the support of, of the local uh, economic development corporation or, or government to, to do that effectively. So what cities are making inroads in vertical farming and growing food? Each city is different, and each are doing various degrees of food growing. One city leading the charge, though, is Atlanta. Essentially, the city has, a, has a, finished a, a year-long study at economic development benefits of urban agriculture, including these high-tech forms of controlled environment agriculture. And they've, de- they've decided that it's worth it. It's going to be a beneficial thing for the city. And so there's a really top-down approach that's happening there now. Um, they've partnered with Invest Atlanta um, Southern Company, which is a large utility company uh, in the region, to create actual incentives for high-tech greenhouses and high-tech vertical farms to relocate there or set up a set up shop there. So they're not only incentivizing it locally, but they're actually trying to attract international and, and national talent to their city. Uh, very top-down, you know, uh, they have a director of urban agriculture, which very few cities do. So I think that's really interesting. Um, that's one of the few cities that's looking at this from the full, what I call the full spectrum of urban agriculture, from low tech to high tech. They're promoting all of it. Um, and they're actually really starting to compartmentalize, you know, which incentives relate to which types of agriculture, right? Soil-based, greenhouse, vertical farm. Henry has also seen changes in New York City where he lives, changes that come with some challenges. If you look at New York City, on the other hand, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, certain politicians that have gone behind this for a number of years. You know, there's a history of, of community gardens um, that has been really bottom-up approach, really uh, advocates saying, this is our land, this is contributing to our health and our well-being, and this is our placemaking, you can't take it away. Obviously, the real estate prices in New York are astronomical, so those spaces are even more difficult to protect than, say, in Atlanta. Um, and, and so there's been a bottom up approach here that that's happened. And, and I think now that was kind of more like 20, 30 years ago, let's say. And now that's kind of, um, you know, at threat a little bit again. Um, and, and, and it's really politicians that are defending that, you know, Gail Brewer in Manhattan. Um, if you look at, uh, borough president Adams in, in, in Brooklyn, you know, they're defending these, these, these plots and, and the benefits of, of these, these community gardens. Uh, on the other hand, there's not a lot of real incentives for high-tech urban farms to get started in New York City, and that's what's needed, and that's it becoming a hotbed for that. The NYC Ag Collective is an example of that. Um, 
But anyway, the, you know, the mayor has written in his five-year plan, the one NYC plan, that he's going to that we should convert unused spaces into vertical farms. I think it's page 184 or something like that. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm constantly tweeting the mayor and trying to hold him to that promise. Um, but it, it kind of looks like it's just words, right? It's, it's just a buzzword that they threw in there. So, you know, we could use a lot more top-down um, support, uh, you know, from policy leaders in New York City, especially on those high-tech forms of agriculture that, that actually perform very well in, in somewhere like the Northeast. And then internationally, there's Singapore. Then you go all the way to Singapore. I'm just going to give another example. And it's like you have both happening at the same time. You have limited space. You have a lot of imported food. So there's drivers that are pushing entrepreneurs to start solving this problem. Um, there's there's a, a financial you know justification for that. And then the, the state recognizes that they have a food security problem. So they're providing you know really, really large incentives uh, for people to start vertical farms and, and greenhouses and rooftop soil-based farms uh, throughout Singapore. And it's making a difference. You know, they really are year after year growing a higher percentage of their food uh, locally. So I don't know. You need both. It really depends on the city. Um, some are, some are, I'm just happy that some cities are actually taking this more seriously than others. At the end of the day, what can a city farm or vertical farm yield? High-tech farms are very productive, but they're not going to feed a whole city. But what Henry has seen across the U.S. and across the world does make them optimistic. If you go in the high-tech side, they're, 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 they're very productive, you know, mostly because you're controlling a lot of the variables, you're controlling right climate, whether it's in a high-tech greenhouse or even more in a vertical farm. And so the yields are, are significant, you know, um, I, there's really a lot of crops. I'm not going to bother, you know, listing all those yields right now. But I think the point is that, you know, they, they are productive. Um, but the thing that's important to remember is that these farms alone are not going to feed the world. You know, if anything, I see them as like a gateway farm <laughs> to, to, to more sustainable agricultural approaches, right? I, like what will spill over as we start to reconsider how we utilize space and how we utilize water and how we utilize uh, fertilizers in farms, how will that spill over to conventional agriculture? Um, another question that I think about a lot is how will these technologies, which are very urban, um, or mostly used in urban areas, um, how would that inspire a new generation of farmers that might engage in more rural agriculture? Uh, but most of the time when we're talking about these high-tech vertical farms, uh, you see it on agriculture, you know, the variety could be more interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of leafy greens, a lot of herbs, a lot of microgreens. In the greenhouse side, there's certainly tomatoes and cucumbers, but that's not really everything that people need to feed themselves. So, this is really just the beginning of, of, a, of an ag tech revolution, let's say, uh, to really remind ourselves of, of how many options we have in our toolkit and that some products don't make sense to be grown in California and shipped to New York City, but they should be grown locally. And I think that's the way you should think about it, is not that vertical farming is gonna feed the world, but that vertical farming has the potential to drive a more sustainable agricultural industry. For more on agritecture, visit agritecture.com. There, you'll find urban and vertical farming news, business, and design. You'll also find out where upcoming workshops are, including Los Angeles on March 31st and April 1st, and Baltimore on April 21st and 22nd. For show notes and to subscribe to Built Blocks, visit builtblocks.com. Thanks a lot for listening.